The Sheen Center presents Sheen Talks, the art of controversy, moderated by Gloria Purvis. Join us at the Sheen Center on November 15th at 7 p.m. for Communion Wars. Bringing together guests of differing views, Sheen Talks, the art of controversy, leads with civility, inclusiveness, and a willingness to listen. For tickets and information, visit sheencenter.org. Use code AMERICA to save $5 on tickets. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Salvatore Cordiglione, Archbishop of San Francisco. I wanted to bring him back to the podcast because the last time we talked about abortion, I heard a lot of feedback from people where they assumed he must be in favor of the death penalty. So I wanted to hear him in his own words, hear him share his own thoughts on the death penalty. I wanted to talk with him about Catholics being called to a consistent ethic of life. What does he think about that? And another thing is he wrote an article for America called It is Past Time to Strike Down the Death Penalty. So I want to talk with him about that as well. I mean, I think some of the things that you'll find out in my discussion with him about his evolution, if you will, in the death penalty is that he really does have a ministry of encounter. He's actually gone to San Quentin and visited inmates. He's actually gone to death row and looked the condemned in their eyes, had this up-close personal encounter with these men. And I ask him, you know, how did that impact him? How did he feel about that? We also talk about restorative justice. What does that look like in his archdiocese? What does that mean for families who have suffered? And also, what is his assessment on the disposition of Americans vis-a-vis the death penalty? He lives, as you know, in a very blue state, as he says, and yet there in California, they did not, the voters did not strike down the death penalty. He says it's not an either-or approach also regarding the death penalty and abortion. He says it's a both and, and that we have to have a consistent ethic of life. And he encourages Catholics to go back and really study what the church says regarding the death penalty, to look at the writing of St. John Paul II, to look at what Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has to say, as well as our Holy Father, Pope Francis. So I hope you take some time and listen to the Archbishop of San Francisco talk about his evolution on the death penalty and what he hopes Catholics will do to come in alignment with what the church says on this issue. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we published or even everything we talk about on this podcast. And that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by following this podcast on your favorite podcast app, and by getting a digital subscription to America. 
How do you get that subscription? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Archbishop Cordelioni is up next. Archbishop, welcome back to the Gloria Purvis podcast. Thank you for coming back to discuss the death penalty with me. Thanks for having me back. Pleasure to be with you again. You know, you wrote this article in America Magazine entitled, It is Past Time to Strike Down the Death Penalty. With many of us, we probably remember being introduced to the subject of the death penalty and having a particular position when we first were introduced to it. I know I had a certain position, which has changed over the years. And so I'm wondering with you, what was your first exposure to the issue of the death penalty? Yes, I'm in a similar uh, situation, but I wrote that letter of last month, the one I saw Pope Francis asked us in his prayer intention for September and ended it to the death penalty. I felt sort of a moral obligation to do something a little more out there, more public, because Mm. we have the death row for men in the state of California here in our archdiocese at San Quentin State Prison. Although, as I mentioned in the article, Governor Newsom is beginning to dismantle it now. So I felt that obligation. But I have kind of evolved with this. So when I was younger, I was sort of on the fence with it. I could see justifying it in some circumstances of very violent criminals with especially heinous crimes. But I remember, I don't know how old I was, maybe like 20, I was still quite young, debating it in my mind, thinking of, well, why not just life imprisonment without the possibility of parole that's for very violent criminals that sufficiently protects society, why would we need to execute them? And I thought the only way to say that might have an advantage is economic. Mm. It's less expensive than to keep them in prison. And I thought, well, money shouldn't be a reason for taking somebody's life. Of course, later in life, I learned that it's actually more expensive to execute (laughs) or to, to have it available because of all the the appeals and all that, it drags out the court case. So it actually ends up being more expensive many times. But at that time, I was thinking that if if the only factor is to save the state money for keeping them in prison, that's not a reason to end somebody's life. So I I came to that realization at that time. And and the more I've learned about it, the more I've been confirmed in my uh, sense of how wrong it is to keep using it at this point in history. When you were in seminary, in formation in seminary, is that how they also taught about the death penalty? Or was there a different position when you were in seminary? Not you, but like in your formation. Yeah, I don't recall a lot of discussion around it then. I mean, I was in the seminary a long time ago in the late 70s and the early 80s. So there wasn't a lot of discussion. I became more involved in discussing the issue a little later in life as various life issues were rising more and more to the surface, and the death penalty was certainly one of them. And then then again, like I said, the more I learned about it, you know, it's pretty obvious people that are well-to-do are not executed. It's only people in lower socioeconomic classes, and especially of certain ethnicities, African-American especially. So the important thing is, as I like to say, When we look at these issues as Catholics, we don't look at them through a political lens where these issues are kind of at different silos. We understand how they're all interconnected. Why are so many men, especially 
incarcerated to begin with. It's because of family breakdown. It's because they didn't have a father. Or if they did, the father was abusive, right? So a lot of it comes down to family of origin issues, the kind of communities they grew up in, the kind of schools that they went to. Schools need to form young people in virtue. So these are all interconnected issues. But it inevitably, people who are, are well-to-do do not get executed. And as we know, it's a, a larger proportion of Caucasians who are, who are well-to-do. So there's this kind of a inbuilt sort of discrimination because of all of the other social challenges that people are growing up with in so many communities. So it really is there's sort of inherent unjust discrimination against them. So that all the more helped me to be convinced that it's time to abolish it. I have to say, when I was in high school, we debated the death penalty. And I'm from the South, and my mother's from the South, and very conservative area. And it was just this notion of to write things, you had to execute people. But as I had come to learn more and more about the issue, I thought, you know, yeah, this just doesn't seem fair. And yeah, we are depriving people of a chance to redeem themselves, be rehabilitated. But that notion of that this is just an eye for an eye is so deep rooted in our country, in our culture. I'm like, how can we talk about it now, knowing that people are generally formed like, you know, an eye for an eye? And also with all the television and entertainment, if somebody wrongs you, you better get them back, (laughs) which seems to also be teaching and forming people about justice being executing somebody that's you know, done violence to you that's killed a loved one. So how should we be talking about this in the RCIA, in CCD? How can we sort of undo that thinking, I guess? I think you're right. We're living in a very vindictive culture. You know, if somebody harms me, then I have to harm them back, even beyond eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. two eyes for one eye. You know, it's, Mm. it's with even greater harm that people now retaliate. Vindictiveness doesn't solve anything. It doesn't heal anything. It doesn't bring resolution. When there's been a heinous crime, such as a murder, it's impossible to repair the damage. We can't bring someone murdered back to life. So if it's out of a sense of vindictiveness, that's not going to help heal. There are very beautiful stories of families of murder victims who bring themselves to forgive the murderer, and there is a reconciliation there. That's where peace and healing comes. So I think and when we're teaching in RCIA, we have to teach it from the standpoint of a consistent ethic of life. Each life issue has its own sets of considerations, but we always the consistent thing is always to look what most affirms human dignity. So we can, as different from taking innocent human life, as would be the example with abortion, we cannot say that the death penalty is an intrinsic evil, that it's always and everywhere wrong. But we can say the way society has evolved, both by our penal system that can protect society sufficiently from violent criminals, and the way, as I was saying earlier, about how there's an inbuilt unjust discrimination against poor people, and especially uh, certain people, ethnic uh, groups, that seems much more unjust in our own time. But to say it's not an intrinsic evil because we're not taking an innocent human life, that also kind of points to another problem with it is that if there is a mistake, then again, there's no way to make reparation. We can't repair the damage that's been done. And there have been many exonerations over the last several years, people who were convicted of a violent crime and then later found to be innocent. 
So that's, I think, one of the most powerful arguments against it is, what if there is a mistake and someone's executed, it's later found out they were actually not guilty of that crime? There's no way to bring that person back to life and to repair the damage that's been done. That's a very good point. It makes me wonder, what does the church offer for someone that is on death row? How do we accompany them there before California had the moratorium? How would we accompany people on death row? And how would we accompany the family of the condemned as they prepare for death by the state? That's through the work of a very skilled chaplain, you know, who visits them, prays with them, provides the sacraments for them, prepares their soul to meet the maker and to walk with them to the very end, to be close to the family and help them all come to the point of realizing that God is in control of everything. And if we are truly contrite and ask his forgiveness, he will forgive us and welcome us into his eternal kingdom. So it's, I'm very grateful for the work of, of chaplains in our detention facilities who, especially in this area, have a very, very challenging call, but they do it so well. So the usual thing with pastoral presence, listening, praying with them, uh, giving the pastoral care, and chaplains would know who would be able to answer that question better than I who are actually doing the work, providing, again, contact with people from the outside, bringing them letters and taking letters to their loved ones. We did some years ago, the California bishops did a visit of death row at San Quentin. And it's interesting to see it's the very subhuman conditions that they're living in, basically in small cages. But it's interesting to see some of the men had a one man, he was so uh, surprised to meet me as the archbishop, and he had a card with a picture of my predecessors as the archbishops of San Francisco, and he knew who they all were. You know, I saw men with, with holy cards in their cages. So there is, uh, as I like to say, Jesus is alive and well behind bars. Mm. There is a faith there. You know, so many people would be afraid to go see men on death row. People presume that they'd be super violent. You know, they've done something horrible to get there. And then we're hearing you are meeting people on death row up close, and you're finding the presence of Jesus there with them in the holy cards. Was that surprising? I wasn't quite sure what to expect. So it was, it was a little bit pleasantly surprising to me when I saw some of the men with this kind of sense of faith that they had. I suppose no two stories are identical, and I'm sure many are angry or resentful, is still violent, is still a lot of unresolved issues, but others are in a much better place. And that's what our call is as those who are called to give spiritual care, to help them all to get to that place where they have, can have greater inner peace. Mm. And talking with people about this, like let's say, I'm sure you know Chris and Valancourt Murphy from Catholics Mobilizing Against the Death Penalty. When I spoke with her previously on the podcast, we talked about the church's teaching on the death penalty evolving. And frankly, a lot of Catholics couldn't even tell you the church's position on the death penalty. So how do you explain the church and Pope Francis' stance on the death penalty to Catholics today? Pope Francis has been very clear on his opposition to the death penalty. Well, indeed, as an intention, prayer intention that it be abolished. It's a pretty strong statement. Mm -hmm. And he had the wording in the catechism modified to say that it is inadmissible. And we see the thinking of church leaders, not only Pope Francis, his predecessors as well, and uh, bishops' conferences around the world have been very outspoken on their opposition to the death penalty. Again, it's a consideration of what are the circumstances nowadays compared to the past and the lack of a need for applying it. 
it's that principle of legitimate self-defense that one can exercise violence to defend oneself against an unjust aggressor, but the minimum violence necessary to defend oneself. Society can defend itself without going to the extreme of executing the offender. And I think it's this growing realization that it isn't necessary. It's curious, you know, of, of Western countries, the United States is pretty much of an outlier in its application of capital punishment. Most countries in other parts of the so-called developed world, you know, in, in Europe and, mm-hmm. and other such countries, they either, many don't have, have it at all, or if they do, it's, it's very rare. I, I guess I could just keep thinking about this. And it seems like for our societal ills, whether it's abortion or the death penalty, we think that taking a life will solve our challenges. And it just seems like it's a difficult thing for us to let go of. And I wonder how much of that is the roots of an evil being dug into our the soil of our country, right? And, and we've not recognized them as an evil. We've not even, I think in some ways, recognize that the people whose lives are taken are people whose lives are worthy of dignity and respect. You have the child in the womb, and then you have the convicted criminal. And I appreciate in the 2016 letter that you and the other bishops of California wrote in supporting Proposition 62, I think it was, which was to get rid of the death penalty in California, you mentioned the word criminal. And I thought that these people were not beyond redemption and hope. And to me, I thought that that was very special that you all use the word criminal because it imparts to the reader that these people too are, as you say, imprinted with the divine image. It doesn't soften it up. And I think it calls us to be more Catholic, to come out of ourselves and to love everyone, not just the innocent, but the criminal alike, because as the letter says, we are imprinted with that divine image. What do we need to develop in ourselves spiritually to have that kind of generosity, that kind of love for another to be able to do that? Because it seems like a very difficult thing. I think you're exactly right about this. (laughs) We have this attitude in our country of if you take a life, you'll solve a problem, Mm -hmm. right? We see that on both of these very controversial issues of abortion and capital punishment. It's the same kind of attitude applied to both. And also in both circumstances, they're invisible to us. Mm. You know, we don't see the baby in the mother's womb. And the women very often going through that crisis situation have no one to talk to about it. So they suffer in silence. And then the incarcerated on death row, they're invisible to society. So it's easy to ignore it, to forget about it because they're invisible. What can we do? Uh, Pope Francis keeps emphasizing this culture of encounter. And I really believe that's what we have to do. Those who uh, maybe have a hard time accepting that people who commit heinous crimes are not executed, maybe they can be involved in one of those pen pal programs, write to somebody who's incarcerated. You know, when you get to know somebody in that a category of people that you have certain attitudes about, it changes your perspective. Same thing with those uh, on the other issue, you know, try to be involved in a program that helps give women support at crisis pregnancies and and get to know them unless allow them to tell their stories without judging them. It's this culture of encounter, encountering people who think differently than we do or who are different than we do, but to try to get to know them. Don't go into the encounter 
with the uh, goal of changing their mind on an issue. Going to the encounter with the goal of trying to get to know them and understand them. Uh, this mm. builds up a much more civil world. And I think this is what's lacking in our culture today. I think people would be surprised to hear you say that. You know, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, Coeur d'Alene, heart of a lion. But what I'm hearing is a heart of a shepherd. <laughs> right here is what I'm hearing. I keep thinking to myself, you know, I've been active in the pro-life movement for decades. And I want to be able to help people see this as a pro-life issue. How can we do that? How can we help people see that the death penalty, opposition to the death penalty is a pro-life issue as well? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it clearly is a life issue because it involves the taking of a human life. So we need to approach it as a life issue. The pro-life issues, as I say, there are a lot of different life issues and they all carry their own set of considerations. So I think the challenge is to help people understand it better if they're uncomfortable with the idea of abolishing the death penalty, they need to study what the church has taught about it, especially not only Pope Francis, also John Paul II and Evangelium Vitae, for example, uh, and our own bishops pastoral letters on it and statements. So to study what the church uh, has taught about it and consider that very seriously. I know we were saying earlier the um, that prayer that the Mass uh, for Priestly Vocations speaks about asking the Lord to raise up the gentle but ardent proclaimers of the gospel. And I think those called to holy orders, we need to be both ardent and gentle. So sometimes we need to be outspoken and we need to be courageous, but never judgmental of other people, always with a goal for the salvation of souls. Well, what I'm hearing is study the church, not your political party. Don't let them form you on the issue. Let the church form you on matters of human life, human dignity, and especially on these issues like the death penalty. That seems to be a hard sell sometimes because I think we align ourselves with our political party and we think we're, you know, we're righteous and right here. And probably not the best way to look at it because neither party that's out there has the fullness of what we believe as Catholics. One other thing that I was curious about is people seem to have issue with any Catholic politicians that, as of late, have supported the death penalty. Do you think that there's a difference in terms of the scope of the death penalty, the kind of advocacy for the death penalty? versus the kind of advocacy we've seen for abortion? Because some people are like, well, why don't we make it very clear to these Catholic politicians that support the death penalty, just how out of step they are with the church? Again, as I said, each issue has its own set of considerations. So abortion is an intrinsic evil because it involves killing an innocent human being. And the death penalty is not, so it's not quite the same thing. And then the extent of the human lives that are taken is much it's, although we can't really quantify the value of human life, but mm-hmm. the scale is smaller. So I think there is a difference there. But to give a little more of a nuanced approach, a Catholic politician who is gung-ho on, yeah, we need to execute everyone who commits uh, you know, a capital offense and is kind of that sense of vindictiveness, that would be very wrong. And that person would need to be called out. The nuance on the abortion issue an honest Catholic politician who realizes it's unrealistic to just say, make it illegal and the problem will go away. I've often said that if that's all we do, it could make, even make the problem worse because women need support. So what a politician could do is provide the woman with, with real choice. You know, when she's given all the information, 
of what's going on with inside of her, what her options really are, and given the support she needs to exercise those options, the brochure rate goes way, way down. It's unrealistic to say we can just stop it altogether. So I think in both cases, what we want to do, the real goal in both cases is to make it unthinkable. Mm. It's unthinkable we kill a baby in the mother's womb. It's unthinkable that we would put someone on death row and execute them and cut off their possibility for redemption and reconciliation. That's the real goal. We'll be back in a minute. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Given that California has a death penalty right now, it's on a moratorium. And granted, yeah, a new governor could change it. or Even the existing governor could change the moratorium. What kind of advocacy can be done, should be done? Something on the national level, considering the federal death penalty is now in play, or what would you like to see happen, whether it's in your archdiocese or for the people of your archdiocese to advocate on a larger platform, like at the federal level? What would you like to see done? First of all, we need to educate our people about it, consciousness raising, so they can see this through a pro-life lens. We need to do practical things toward, uh, as I mentioned, about rehabilitation and restorative justice. That's why, as I had mentioned at the start of our conversation, why I wrote the article when I did. I took advantage of that opportunity of Pope Francis asked us to pray to end the death penalty in September. And I have the death row, although as I mentioned, being dismantled, but the death row here in California. And the need to help our people understand that is, <laughs> it's been so disappointing. California is such a deep blue state, but you mentioned Proposition 62, which did not pass. There was another one a couple of years before, the same thing to try to abolish the death penalty, and that also didn't pass. So I saw the need to help our people understand that we need to find better ways to deal with these problems than ending people's lives. I think, again, that cultural encounter idea helped promote the people getting involved in detention ministry. And uh, when I say Mass of San Quentin, you know, there's a whole group of people that are involved in the ministry there inside the prison. Get them involved with that get them, you know, in communication with inmates. Let us try to promote more restorative justice and rehabilitation programs. You know, it's kind of a, whenever I go there, I tell the inmates, it's such a kind of a paradox because whenever I go, I look forward to seeing them, but I kind of hope that I won't. Mm. No. <laughs> I hope they'll get paroled and, and make a new life for themselves. So in a way, I hope I don't see them. <laughs> But I also look forward to seeing them. <laughs> I see some of them are, they're in a very good place spiritually. So 
I have great hope for them that they'll be able to rebuild their lives when they are paroled. And that's what we have to aim for with everyone who's inside a detention facility. I know in the letter that you wrote to your archdiocese, you mentioned the Archdiocese of San Francisco's restorative justice ministries, that they support the crime victims and their families, men and women in prison and jail, and the formerly incarcerated. And you thank everyone that participates in these ministries. And I guess it's open to anyone in the Archdiocese if they want to join the restorative justice ministry. Anyone can join an Archdiocese? Yes, we have a very vibrant restorative justice, thanks to our leader in that area, Julio Escobar. He does so much in that area of reaching out to those who are in the jails. He also organizes prayer gatherings at sites where murders have taken place. So people in the community gather and we pray and just ask God to rid the place of the evil that has been perpetrated there. So yes, many people are involved in this in our archdiocese and it's we would encourage everyone possible to be involved with it. We'll be sure to put a link to that ministry in your archdiocese in our show notes when we go to air this episode. We'll include that link if people want to learn more about the restorative justice ministry in your archdiocese. It seems like you've led many efforts for prayer, one for Nancy Pelosi. And here you are with the Pope on asking people to pray for the abolition of the death penalty. Have you heard any response to that in your diocese from people in your archdiocese on praying for the abolition of the death penalty? How's it, have your people responded to that? I have had a number of people thank me for the article on it. And I mean, this is the San Francisco Bay Area, just, just about everyone's opposed to capital punishment here. So <laughs> okay. I didn't get too much blowback. But that was okay. another kind of thing in my mind about writing this article is to show that we're not fixated on one issue or another. Some issues, in my own mind, rise to a higher intensity because of the intrinsic evil involved, but we're not fixated on one issue that we have to look with this consistent ethic of life lens. And I thought that an article, high profile article on this issue, especially coming from me, would help people to see that we need to look through the lens of a consistent ethic of life. Well, thank you so much. Gosh, this has been um, just a wonderful conversation. I think it'll give people a Probably surprise some people because I think people think you're only concerned about one thing. And for people to hear you in your own words, explain why the death penalty is important, to explain why you agree with the Holy Father as a lot of the bishops in the United States, and you've been working on this since well before this year. So I think to expose people to your thinking on the death penalty, hopefully will help people come to embrace what the church is teaching and maybe they'll grapple with this issue and recognize it shouldn't be something that's basically in alignment with whatever your political party is. That we as Catholics have broader and deeper reasonings for why we want to end legal death penalty in the United States. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and having this wide-ranging conversation on an issue I think that Catholics are still grappling with. So thank you for that. Your Excellency. Good. Thank you, Gloria, for having me on the show once again. Glad to do it. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and, well, sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Oh, and could you leave us a review? I would love to hear from you. 
And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and it's engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. See you next time.